say it's taken me a long time to get to the point of a knowing when I might be sort of falling into a little bit of a, a hole of either feeling a little down or overwhelmed or anxious. Um, I do have some tools in place, but recently and really talking about my priorities in the moment, I've realized that reaching out to people, friends and having a support network, so close people that I can sort of talk to and call up and that has that's gone like right up to the top of my priorities. Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week, along with a roster of incredible guests, I'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives, sharing mindset tips, strategies, tools, and inspiration to help you prioritize your own life. We'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant, what we'd like to work on a little more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you enjoy. My guest today is author and illustrator Laura Brand. Laura has become a leading advocate for using creativity and play to support and bolster mental health. Her first book, The Journal for Magical Everyday Play, was a Sunday Times bestseller, and the follow-up, The Joy Journal for Grown-Ups, as well as her Instagram account, are the ideal places for anyone looking to inject a bit more creativity into their life. Laura is an in-demand speaker. She's led workshops at Port Elliot, as well as at Fern Cotton's Happy Place Festival, among many others. She lives in the countryside with her husband, the comedian Russell Brand, their daughters, and a huge array of animals, as you'll hear all about in a moment. Welcome, Laura. Hey, Lily. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you on. How has your day been so far? Are you a routine kind of person? Um, I wish I was. Routine really helps me, and it does. I try, but I have two small children, four and five, and um with the very best of intentions I still try and get up before them and I can't so I do it every day is different so yesterday was a day where I set my alarm 45 minutes before the average time that they awake so that I could prepare for something I was doing yesterday and they one one of my daughters still woke up at the same time as me like she she kind of in, she she just knows so, but I do always have a cup of tea when I wake up. It's crucial that I have a cup of tea. And then I start the sort of snack bag, get their school bags ready, make porridge. And I feed all our animals, of which we have a lot. So, yes, I start that. Feeding the animals is an everyday routine, every morning, every evening. And that's one consistent. <laughs> How many animals do you have? We have currently in our home 16 cats and uh, (laughs) we have one dog, we have five chickens and we have two pigs. That's a lot of animals. It's a lot of animals. Five of those cats are tiny babies, so they are only a month and a bit old. So I almost don't include them in the, they have a whole different, like they're in a room and they have their own time with their mum and their mum feeds them and things like that. But I, yes, the other cats are all very present. (laughs) Have you always had a lot of animals in your life? I grew up with dogs and hamsters and goldfish, but never quite like this. This has happened, I would say this has happened entirely organically. And the more more cats, obviously, we seem to get, I 
just love them more and more. I feel like I'm I'm completely a cat person. I've thought even recently, should I even be like a cat therapist <laughs> where I'm like, I spend a lot of time working out the behavior of the cats, how to keep them happy, how to feed them separately, grooming them, making them sort of work around our life, you know, what time they're coming in. It's quite interesting. It's become a hobby, I would say. <laughs> They're quite high needs. Is that correct? Um, no, I would say they are. Well, they. I think they're quite root, actually talking of routine. They're quite a perfect example of a routine sort of animal. So they get fed. They like to be fed at the same time. They come in at night at the same time to be fed. And um, but other than that, they they sleep a lot. They go outside. They don't really go to the toilet in the house, which is fantastic because, you know, they, they're outdoor cats. Um, yeah, so they're, they're not too high need and they give, I get a lot. I actually really, really benefit from being around cats. It seems like it's my spirit animal. Okay. Well, that leads on quite nicely to your first priority that you gave me, which was making sure that your mental well-being is looked after. Talk us through what that means to you. I would say it's taken me a long time to get to the point of are knowing when I might be sort of falling into a little bit of a, a hole of either feeling a little down or overwhelmed or anxious. Um, I do have some tools in place, but recently and really talking about my priorities in the moment, I've realized that reaching out to people, friends and having a support network, so close people that I can sort of talk to and call up and that has that's gone like right up to the top of my priorities. Now I don't know if that's just because after the summer holidays, we as a parent, you become entirely consumed with whatever the children or the family want to do. So moving into the new sort of time of year and then going back into the school and me sort of having to balance work and home life. I've realized that carving out time for myself is really, really important. And it gets it does go to the bottom of the list. So I have to keep pushing it back up again. And so at the moment I'm doing I'm having um, you know, regular calls with friends. I'm starting my cold water river swimming again because it's the right time of year. The temperature's dropped enough to, to make a good benefit and kind of, of, of that. And um and and take it sitting down a little bit like making sure that I'm not sort of really going for just everything and doing everything and everything which is my nature is to be non-stop and it really doesn't benefit me or those around me so I'm talking directly affects my family my kids you know when I'm sort of just on the go all the time so mental well-being uh is one of my top priorities it should probably always be, but certainly today and while I'm doing this podcast, I would say yes. Um, you know, even having, I went for a, I had a medical. I've never had a medical before in my life. You know, where you have a full, the works, like you're getting checked, you're having your blood tests, uh, your blood taken, things like that, that as well. Like I just did that recently. So I was doing, I was following up with that this morning as well. Um, and that felt good. So that's, I think that sort of goes into that sort of self-care and well-being um, priority. As you say, when you become a parent, you as a priority, is it's very easy to slip very far down that list. 
because that's just the nature of of life and of parenting, especially with young children. You talked about um, reaching out to your support network. Does that come naturally to you? Are you the kind of person who finds it easy to ask for help and lean on other people? Or is it something you've developed over time? Um, I... I've developed it over time. There are certain, there are certain people. Uh, I, I, you know, I. There are certain people I can reach out to very easily, and it just feels like I could pick up the phone and just immediately start going in. You know, ranting and raving. Um, as a general, in general, I don't. I have an aversion to my phone. So the the problem is that I don't like my phone ringing. I don't really like receiving messages. So actually, that is quite challenging because I'll sometimes call someone and maybe they won't pick up. And by the time they've kind of come to call me back to check that I'm okay or to do, you know, just to do have a chat, I'm sort of not wanting to pick it up. It's like, I don't know why I I'm sort of scared of the phone. So I think it is quite hard for me. Um, I. I'm much better at it. And even today, I would say I've sort of, I would say that, you know, recently with kind of putting that mental well-being kind of up there, it's, it's because of some anxiety. You know, I do, I do have, I do struggle with anxiety. And so sometimes it has to really, it has to be, I have to be okay with it. I have to pick up the phone and call people because otherwise it's too isolating to be in that. And so I'd say it's something that's got better and, and definitely not something that's always been there and something that I'm still slightly afraid of but get gets it's getting better all the time getting more more of a utilized tool if you will what do you not like about your phone I don't like the feeling of too much availability so too much sort of accessibility if you will um I think because I had jobs through my 20s that heavily relied on me being available on a phone. So I was either managing a restaurant or I was doing the reservations for a restaurant. You know, it was like uh, my phone would sometimes be the phone number that was attached to booking tables and doing and and it became, you know, I it, it was like I, I actually following those jobs had a sort of phone PTSD, like where if the phone would ring. I'd, you know, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't want to pick it up I wouldn't want to deal with it it was just because it would ring all the time and I had very sociable jobs as well so there was quite a lot of maintenance with uh, quite a lot of um people people pleasing and quite a lot of that and so that sort of tied into it slightly I think it's quite a it runs deep I would say the, the sort of fear of the phone um I think that it now it is the feeling of just being constantly available um I was told when I was in one of those jobs because I think quite a few people that worked in the same line of work as me as being a manager in a restaurant and struggling with the managing a team, struggling with the feeling of being needing to be the point of contact if something was going wrong, you know, if you've got chefs or if you've got people working there or whatever. And I remember my like director of the business was a bit is a big company um, and a fantastic one. He said, don't always reply to emails right away. Like, do not just always be available. Like, you can't just, once you get an email, reply right away. It sets your bar too high for how available you are. Take take time to sit down and go, this is the block where I reply to emails. Because, and, and that actually, I, I, I still have sort of forget that. And when I'm on the go, and when I'm with the kids, I'm checking and it's like, 
oh, fire off, fire off, fire off, fire off these sort of replies quickly. And I don't find that really a great, I don't find that great. I find that that's probably not a great use of my time and it probably doesn't give people what they need in the responses either. So I do need to remind myself of that. You know, don't just be available all the time. Do it in blocks and it will be much more manageable. But it's the availability, I think, is is the thing that I find difficult. That makes perfect sense. And that's really, really good advice there, um, which I think probably a lot of us do know and forget about all the time, which is that just because someone else has sent an email doesn't mean you need to reply in that moment. And as your boss said very accurately, the quicker you reply, the more you become known as that person who replies very quickly. And then if you do things slowly, then it's not tolerated and you're expected to do, you know, it's unlimited, essentially, the number of emails we can get and the amount of replies or how much work can be put on us. Totally. And I think that's particularly valuable, I hope, to those that are freelance or work for yourself. So if you are not in set hours, if it's not that you wake up and you go to a job and at 10 o'clock you start and at five o'clock you finish or six o'clock or seven o'clock, if you're on, if you're working for yourself and you're trying to generate your own work and you're a freelancer, then I think it's very, very important to be boundaryed. And I think that boundaryed with your hours in some capacity or, and that doesn't have to be within this set time frames that other people say, it could be your own. I, you might find that you're most productive like I am with writing. I think I'm most productive at night. So I think I prefer, I wrote most of my ch- next book um, that's coming out tomorrow or whenever this is, or <laughs> whenever this is coming out soon. Um, uh, my next book, I wrote most of it in the evening. It just was it, my, it just worked better for me. So that's sort of when I was also replying to emails. So yeah, I think it's just knowing yourself, knowing your best hours of operation and then making sure that you manage that in a way that's healthy. Definitely. For me, it's the opposite. So I work best in the morning. So I have to really be very vigilant about guarding that time first thing and making sure that I focus on whatever it is I'm writing or working on or workshops that I'm running, that I do that first. And I don't look at any emails or do any of the superfluous stuff mm. around it, bills, anything like that, I have to be put aside until the afternoon when I can, I've got less brain power. Yeah, exactly. Either way. When you said that you're someone that likes to do everything at once and to be really on the go, I found that very interesting because I've read your books. Mm. And the impression I got from your books was that you take things very slowly and you focus on that you naturally focus on your creativity and moments of joy and reconnection. And of course, it's quite obvious as anyone writes about anything, it's because they need it. I talk about priorities because I need to work out my own priorities. Mm. So was writing those books on, you know, finding joy and slowing down and creativity, is that really self-help for you? Absolutely. Actually, the, the, f- the first book, so The Joy Journal for Magical Everyday Play, came about entirely um, because that was the way I was playing with the children, slowly, consciously, uh, very, very aware of what materials we were using, uh, trying to pull on nostalgia and tradition and looking at things I used to enjoy. And um, from that, I got such a lot of feedback from parents about, well, I would love to be doing this myself, I think, more than anything, because I've realised I haven't done anything. I haven't picked up a paintbrush or I haven't made clay or... And so I started to turn my attention to uh, applying creative activities um, and kind of outdoor nature play, if you will, for adults. Um, 
as a form of self-care. So um, yes, I would say that I write from the position of that for me, one of my one of my biggest forms of self-care is a create is the creative process. That can be cooking, that can be which I don't tend to do by the way when I'm doing a million other things. I'm actually of course when we're like making a quick meal for the kids and it's the end of the day. But if I some sometimes I will do like batch cooking and it will be like most of the day if I apply if I apply myself and organize myself and it is very very slow and methodical and it feels very nourishing and it's um we've we've mentioned I know you, you know uh you've interviewed Melissa Hemsey who very kindly wrote the um forward for the joy journal for grown-ups she had like some really great recipes that were perfect I think it was around this time last year for batch cooking and I sent her a photo where I was like, I have been cooking all day your amazing recipes. Look at this. And it was like loads of tough. It was like loads of like containers of food, like, you know, for meals for the weeks ahead. And, and I was freezing them. So I, I apply slow living in, I would say, in the creative areas of my life. But I'm also, you know, I am juggling a lot of things. I am currently organizing a festival for next summer. So at the same time as that, I might also be trying to promote my book and then also trying to work out how to manage social media, which I'm not terribly good at. And then also really at the forefront is always thinking about um, what's going on in my children's lives, how to be present for them. What, what, what do I need to do as a, you know, as a, for, to be a good partner to my husband and, and, you know, things like that. And obviously all the animals that I mentioned, but yeah, so the, the, the joy journal for grownups was very much a book that was how to, how to put creative, uh, creative things into action as a form of self-care, looking at the areas of your life that you might most enjoy, whether you enjoy gifting to people, whether you like celebrations, how can you make your own, whether you want to get out into nature, how could you start a nature journal? They are all things I love and I do. And definitely creativity and creative action um, is the is the area of flow for me and flow does inevitably bring us into a state flow is being present and being totally in the moment and I'm very very thankful that that is something that I have uh, available to me. I think it's a really smart approach to self-care as well in this Instagram age where so much of self-care is pictures of bubble baths or whatever it is reconnecting to using your hands, which we do so to love, using that part of your brain, the creative part of your brain, the doing part, yes, the being part, as opposed to being on your phone or all the technological amazing advances, which, which have also kind of screwed our relationship to ourselves. Mm, yeah. It, it's, it's, I tie in it to the beginning of the book. Um, I talk about the mental, the sort of the aspect of it that's where it's proven. So that yes, like working with your hands and uh, for decompression of them, you know, decompressing at the end of the day, things like that. And and also, if you see that there's the rise in things like embroidery, crochet, knitting, cross stitch for mental health and well, um, mental health groups. So you might get a group together. I I met an amazing craft group locally who. Um, they found that the only way they could make time for themselves was to kind of create this craft group, which people I think has 40 members, but not all 40 members go to it. But you can drop in, drop out, you take your own thing you're doing. And 
a lot of the ladies were doing even pom-pom making, uh, crochet, cro- uh, knitting. And when I sort of said, what do you get from it? They all said relaxation and help with their state of mind, all of them. And they all had, one of them had a baby in arms, one of them had a baby in the pram in the corner. They said, it's just a little bit of time. It's a pocket of time that is very low pressure. Um, and it, it, it's proven that these things, these sort of mindful, slow, creative acts and working with your hands, that that is beneficial for your for your mental health. Absolutely. And as you said as well, coming together as a group. Yes, and gathering, of course. Yeah. Another chapter I write about is gathering, how to do it, how to do it if you don't. I find it quite, I'm a sociable person, but I I would say I'm one of those introvert extroverts that have recently sort of been discovering like, oh, actually, there's a thing where you can be both. Um, I, uh, it's gathering, I think it can be really hard for people, especially after having spent those two years really not seeing people um on and off being kind of quite distant from everybody so yeah you're right gathering together is really 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 important at the right time and for the right sort of group of people gathering together and doing something almost banal yes other than there being the pressure to talk I had it recently with my friend Joanna who came around and we were preparing for a dinner party and we were making Mexican which meant we had to get a lot of coriander leaves off their stalks Mm -hmm and chop mm-hmm. a lot of chilies and a lot of uh, juice, a lot of limes for margaritas. Nice. sat there prepping, prepping and talking, and it felt so nourishing to be doing that together. Really How lovely. How often do you do that with your friends? We live such in, such individualized lives. We do. And do you know, what's really, there's a couple of things that's interesting about that. One, that you were doing repeated, you were doing something that was a repetition. Mm-hmm. So that obviously has, uh, that plays its part because once you get into the repetition of an a- action, you go, you do go into a state of flow. So that was a really lovely thing that you, um, that you managed to find to do together. But also, um, isn't it, we were recently, we were in Italy in the summer. I love Italy and I love the way of life there. And it's just a, a beautiful place. And, you know where you'll see they will bring the food and like prepare it while everyone's just doing stuff. So sitting sort of with the bowl on their lap while everyone's sort of around on the doorsteps and they'll be doing like prep, prepping a meal sort of on the street and chatting. And and it's like, oh my God, like that is just not something that we've been like, that's not something that's been formed in the UK, you know, that meal prep seems quite an isol- uh, like an isolating act or whatever. But actually, um, it doesn't have to be like you've, you've found it can be something that's very much a communal communal activity. Moving on from that, I'd like to ask you about an area that's not important to you. So what's not a priority? to you I think it's a little bit related to what we were just talking about it is yeah and I was thinking about this as as very much for now so what would would I say and I would say that I think I said specifically evening socializing yeah so um when I was thinking about this I was thinking god what is not a priority and I was thinking gosh it sort of spans priorities span so many different things I, I think that's one of the areas of conflict for me is how to prioritize and I was thinking one thing that I just almost never think of is trying to make a lot of plans in the evening in fact when they do come up I find them so difficult and challenging I I do love like actually just after I had written that or or you know just after I had suggested or was planning for this podcast I thought gosh um 
I, I need to probably do something in the e- evening at some point soon. And then my friend, my best friend messaged saying, shall we go to the theatre to see this play in November or December? And I was like, yes, yeah, let's do it. It's far enough away that I've got enough time to plan that I know that we, that, you know, I can I can kind of prepare myself. But um, and I don't know if it's to do with I mean, I certainly live I don't live really rurally, but I don't live in London. And I think I do have lovely, lovely friends around here. But I feel like we're all very much the same. We might prefer to meet for coffee in the day. And and when we do meet up in the evening, um, sometimes I'm just I'm I'm sometimes just tired. I get up very, very early. I really enjoy getting up early. And I to be honest with you, I think that, yeah, it has to be a low priority because I can't honestly think the last time I suggested a late evening plan. <laughs> so there we go. I think it's just quite a, it's quite a boring one, really. And it also makes me sound very boring. But even when my husband and I do d- dates or like we'll do like a date, um, maybe an afternoon rather than a sort of mad social evening thing. We went rock climbing recently in the indoor, indoor rock climbing. But like, you know, that was at three in the afternoon and then, you know, like grab a takeaway on the way home. So, yeah, I think that that's probably low. And and the reason I also said that is because I would say before children and through my 20s, evening plans were absolutely everything. They would have been my top priority. So it sort of really stuck out to me that that's quite a big change. Like, I think my whole life was based on what I was doing on the evenings. So from, from the end of the working day, it would be like, right where am I going? Who am I seeing? Where, you know, like that would be, that would be that. So it, it felt relevant to mention because it seems like it's a change in me, I suppose. Okay, little break in this episode and I've got a quote for you. Let this be a subtle reminder of the depth and simplicity and the complex but not complicated nature of being. It's kind of natural, right, to overcomplicate things, especially in our modern lives where so much vies for our attention all the time. But just focusing instead on the complexity of being makes everything feel, I guess, more manageable and also beautiful. Maybe it's just semantics or me, but I really like that. The quote is from Heath Way, an Australian artist who I'm clearly a big fan of. I've actually got one of his paintings in my house and he has a show coming up in London with The Dot Project, a female-founded contemporary art space and also the sponsor for this week's podcast. Heath's show, Come in Good Spirits, opens October 10th in Soho, but the works will also be up on their website and you can check out the rest of their brilliant artists who are mostly emerging on mid-career, so you know, ones that you can get in on the ground floor with. Have a look, it's www.thedotproject.com. And there's details there of Heath's show and the opening for that. So maybe see you there. Are you good at saying no then? Do people ask your... Yeah, I am. I am quite... I am good at saying no. I have not been before. And what, what happens is when you're not good at saying no mostly you'll say yes and then you'll end up letting people down so what I've thought I've I've had to kind of be a little bit more present in forward thinking I've got to think right if that's the thing that I'm being invited to I've got to think is there time for example for me to get home from the school run is there time that I'm going to be able to get changed get ready sort the children and then make it up to London you know which is an hour away and whereas sometimes I'll be like oh yeah I can come yeah I can come then it's like on the day I'm like I can never get there by six no I'm sorry I've 
I'm not coming, you know, I'm sorry to let you down. Like, but so yeah, I'm, I'm better at, um, I'm better at that than I, than I have been previously, but it's certainly something I need to work on still. I think there's two really important and useful points that you made there. One is that forward thinking of knowing your own boundaries yeah. and what you're capable of rather than taking everything on. And also knowing that it can't be a priority for you as well as the other priorities that are important. So if your mental well-being is also wrapped around, you know, getting good sleep and getting up in the morning and being mm-hmm. the animals, and then we're going to talk about your other priority in a moment, which of course is really crucial, then that cannot work for you. No in your current life and knowing that rather than trying to take everything on and do everything yeah you're right and it's interesting with sleep because I I love going to bed like I don't know what more to say really about that I just love it I love going to bed it's I'm not saying like I'm not (laughs) I'm not thinking about it all the time but I'm certainly like when it comes to it, I'm like, oh God, isn't this so nice? Aren't we lucky that we get to sleep in a bed and a duvet and a pillow and, you know, have this time to recharge. And so, yeah, it's so important. And so you're right. If you can sort of think that's going to cost me sleep and then I'm going to be so, so tired and then unbearable and not be able to manage my own family members, then it's, or, you know, not be able to look after them or, or even deal with anything. Then there's just no point. But I, I kind I learned this actually from my husband. He said, he always says, be kind to your future self. And it's like, I'm, I, I really keep that in mind. And that can be, even if you really feel like you don't want to be doing something in the moment. You think if I don't, uh, I can't think of an example right now, but it would be that you really kind of feel like you don't, don't want to do it, but you know that you'll be thankful you did it. Because even if it's like, uh, uh, and I was thinking, I can't think of an example, but it is that idea that you, maybe if it's, it can be as simple as this. If you know you have an early start on an early morning, lay, and for me, it'd be maybe with my children, laying out the clothes the day, the night before, and then not thinking about it if you're in a rush, if you've got to go, or if the children, if you, that's being kind to your future self. Lay the clothes out the night before, sort it out. Don't go through any of those arguments in the morning or even arguments with yourself, which I do a lot when I have to go through 10 outfits because nothing feels good on the day of or whatever. So yeah, and if that's a tiny, almost, you know, um, it, a tiny example, but being kind to your future self, and that can apply to this idea as well of thinking, no, because my priority is being compromised. So no. That's a smart tip. I always lay my children's clothes out, but not my own. Maybe I'll um revert to school exactly. days. You're you've got to, I think. So the other main priority you said to me was your children. Yes. And talking about the changes in the season now. So finishing summer holidays, we're in September, end of September and how things look for you and for them and how you can support them. So talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so at the moment, um, I would say possibly alongside my priority of my mental health would be that I'm trying to help my children transition into a new time of year. And that is that my four-year-old Peggy is uh, in reception and she doesn't enjoy the morning ride to school so she's somebody who we have a little challenge with getting to go to school 
Um, but she enjoys it when she's there. And that's why we persevere because she's lovely friends and we love the teachers and it's wonderful. Um, our older daughter, Mabel, is um, very, very, I wouldn't say she's sociable, but she's got her, she's got a core group of friends. She's running off in the morning, bag up, see you later, bye, off she goes. However, both of them after the summer holidays have developed sort of, or have probably been handed by us, the parents, a bunch of habits that are not helpful. Now the routines are back. We obviously really allowed almost no boundaries around bedtimes during the summer holidays. We let them watch a lot of TV. Meal times even became different. It was all very, 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 very much whatever we fancy day by day. And so at the moment, my main thing is making them feel safe and secure that in order for them to get to, to get to their school day and that they know that the week is like this and that the weekends are like this. That And then from the minute they are home from the school day, what happens between then and bedtime? So it's it's actually literally been a process of doing the thing where you put them to bed and then you bring it forward each day so that they go to bed at a reasonable time and then they aren't tired. So it's been actually my whole focus for the last couple of weeks has been, right, we come home, we play a little bit of a tramp time on the trampoline, something outside. I took them, you know, we, we live near the river, so we took them on the boat, the other, like row, we've got a rowing boat, went on the rowing boat the other day. Lots of fresh air, lots of sort of downtime, sort of after tea, between tea and bath time and bedtime. We do a little bit of massage. We listen to a, a sleep story. We have dim lights. Now the evenings are darker, so it is getting easier. But it is about that introduction of slow, slowing down, calming down the rhythm, the rhythm of the, the day at that point. And, and that literally, I mean, like, you know, I'm getting advice. I'm looking online. I'm looking at like, right, how do I want this to, how can we let, how, what's this going to be, you know, so that they're not overtired, so that they're not overstimulated, so that they look forward to, so that we can have special moments as well. So last week, they were very upset that I didn't let them watch TV all week. And I said, if we can get through this and you guys are just okay with it, because I said, I'm really feeling that the TV is not good for us at the moment. And it wasn't. It was just having a very negative effect, particularly on our youngest. Um, and I'm not anti-TV screens and stuff. They watch really great stuff. Like there's some things that, that I like. I'm happy with them watching. But that overstimulation causes problems. So I uh, said, you know, we're not going to watch TV, but on Friday, I am, we are going to choose a movie and we're going to have a movie night. And with movie night, we're going to have a hot chocolate and we can get this. They are, they, they don't really have dairy and, and they're vegetarian. And so we had like an oat, like a, I don't know, non-dairy whipped cream. It was amazing. They were like really well into that and they looked forward to it and it felt special and it's creating those moments again. And I find that autumn is a really, really nice time to, to to apply those moments and rituals, you know, even if it's just that you're doing some stuff by candlelight or something, you know, it's it's a it's a really cozy time. And I think that I'm quite thankful that I'm I mean, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. I don't do much. I need to probably do a little bit more stopping to sort of gather myself and have a bite of lunch but at the moment I'm you know doing I'm working on releasing a book and I'm trying to 
as I said, work on some other projects, but very much it, high up on that list, if not top priority, is this sort of family rhythm and making sure that they are balanced and happy. Just a small task. Just a bloody small task. And by the way, it's not, it's, it's, that's why it's a battle because let me tell you, there are tantrums every single day. So happy, I would say, making sure that they're balanced and feeling secure rather than happy because yeah. happy's like comes and, comes and goes. It's like, oh yeah, okay, they're happy. Oh no, they're not happy. Like it is a bit, that keeps me on the edge a little bit, but yeah, that they feel, that they feel good and secure. I think happy, I think happy can be quite a difficult word as well, which yes. is why I like that you use joy. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. Actually. Joy is sort of this fulfillment whereby happiness is fleeting and changes. And we see it a lot. If you have young children, you see it in moments, milliseconds where they change from happy to unhappy. But also as adults, it can shift very quickly with the smallest email or Oh experience on social media or comment that someone makes or you know even an in internal comment that we make to ourselves yeah it's very fleeting whereby joy joy is or, or, or com a comforting feeling i think whereas you know it's not 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 so much peaks and troughs but very much more joy sort of a wholesome wholesome feeling mm. and a bit more security yes exactly so balanced and joyful, maybe, would be good. Mm. Sounds good for anyone, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so do you think about the seasons a lot? Yeah, I really do. I do. Um, I follow a lot of, I don't apply entirely. In fact, I don't, I try, but I, I implement elements of slow living. And one of the biggest parts of that would be really being in line with the seasons. So I would say I, I follow some fantastic Instagram pages for um, sort of people who really, really look to the seasons to pr prompt all of their, so from cooking to play to uh, even, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I read this thing the other day where it's like, as soon as this, so I can't remember who said this, as soon as this season change changes, remove all of your summer clothes and put them out of the way and then put, like move, move shift the entire wardrobe and I, I mean I don't have actually literally don't have the time to do that but um the idea of it is that you are acknowledging a change you're acknowledging that the weather's going to be different so why is that very very light linen item that you've worn all summer still sort of at the forefront unless you're going to pair it with polo neck and tights of course but generally it is acknowledging a change and um I wanted to point this out on this note the other day I uh fell asleep in the in the sun outside which is so rare that I don't actually honestly remember the last time I did it possibly years but I did I fell asleep because I was on this like I was at a friend's house on a rocking sofa thing like it's like a sofa but a swing like old real retro stuff beautiful and I fell asleep and I genuinely felt like of course there was this like moment of the, like the sunshine and the feeling of rejuvenation and the feeling of nourishment was like I I have not felt in a long long time and it was like a very very brief sleep maybe five minutes but what it felt was that the temperature being cool but the sunshine being kind of full of full of nourishment and full of vitamin d and full of that sort of that sort of like 
with the crisp air around it made me realize that autumn sunshine is possibly the most restorative sunshine of the year and I don't know if it's because everything seems golden you know leave everything's the the colors are changing around us or uh, but I but I feel like it's that element of like that it's not too hot that it's draining it's not too cold that it's just unbearable but it's just it's sort of filling you up and it's preparing you for the winter and that was my thought on going into this autumn season is just, you know, look to the sun for nourishment when you can um, because it's got the capacity to charge you up for the winter to come. Two things. First of all, now I really want to go take a nap outside. (laughs) (laughs) And secondly, I think that's really inspiring and really important because a lot of people, as soon as the end of summer hits, they are all they talk about is how depressed they are because the winter is coming and they can't handle it. And we know that the more we tell ourselves we can't handle something, the less tolerant we are of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying a little bit more about welcoming in that, as you say, slow slow living. Yeah, slow living, slow living, and I think just it's it's definitely acknowledging acknowledging the season would be a good step okay something you would like to prioritize more laura did i write this down you did you wrote exercise oh god yeah oh my gosh okay i don't do any exercise okay i walk and i do walk far like i can go two to three hours and be like walking and walking the other day i we opted my husband and i opted to walk back from somewhere it took an hour and a half I mean definitely wasn't necessary but it wasn't and it was nighttime but it was just I love walking and I love biking but I'm not biking at competitive levels and I'm not putting like lycra on I'm literally like tootling along you know um but I I'm afraid and I'm not necessarily proud of it but you know when people just like when people go like oh yeah my top priority is like exercise I think blimey god like I is so I don't do any, you know, and like, it's because I think everyone thinks I do yoga and stuff. I try yoga, but I'm not really good at it. In fact, actually, that's not true. I did a fantastic yoga retreat with an amazing friend called Naomi, and she is an amazing yoga teacher. Um, She has a studio in East London, and she did show me, actually, I'm not too bad at yoga, which made me feel very good. But that's Naomi and and right that's yoga yes 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 yeah. it is yeah and um I and I did feel like she's obviously a fantastic teacher anyway but I really really it she it worked for me because I felt what you should feel if you know what I mean sometimes when you do yoga you just think oh god that was just painful and it's just not I'm not like that and whatever mm-hmm. but she really made it work for a whole big group of women and everyone felt in their own way that it was beneficial so um I like to try things. I went through a really, really big phase of doing a lot of like, um, in, in, we were in America, so it's called Soul Cycle, but over here it's like maybe Peloton or whatever you want to call it, where you just bike really hardcore biking to a te- with a teacher, brr, brr, and go like that. And I did that like almost obsessively to the point that I think I put myself off exercise. <laughs> so I think that probably what I wouldn't mind doing was a little bit of cardio. I think that probably a, a light jog, a sweat, 
um, or some sort of actually Pilates has always worked for me when I've done it. So I would like to put exercise, but not too intense exercise and not obsessive, a little bit of exercise onto my list of priorities. Yeah, you certainly sound very active. Yeah, I am active and I'm I'm never feeling like someone who's uh like I don't feel unfit. I feel fit. But you know when um because I mentioned I had a medical the other day and I he did ask the doctor, uh, well can I ask you how much exercise do you do a week? And I was like, I do none. None. Like zero. And he said, Okay, so no no exercise at all. I was like, none. Like maybe moving around a lot. I do move a lot. <laughs> but, I think they'd classify walking. I think okay. they definitely classify walking. I walk. You walk fairly fast. I do walk fast and I walk far. I think an hour and a half walk is is like, you know, when it's just, you know, I think that's that could be exercise. Yeah. That's definitely exercise. Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you've helped me with that. <laughs> All right. Just to finish off. What would you recommend to someone who wants to prioritize a little bit more creativity in their lives? Gosh, I would say don't be afraid don't be afraid to try something new with creativity. So if it's joining a local craft group, it might feel really scary, but um it could be and I'm not talking about just that you have to turn up like in that case and bring your own materials. You could sign up and do a, a pottery class or something like that. Um, you could buy yourself some coloring pencils and a coloring book and just do that. And that would be, as we know, very, very good for your mental well-being. Anything that kind of takes anything that you. It's funny because it feels like an indulgent thing and it really shouldn't. That's the thing. It should be that you can apply these things a little bit of coloring as part of you know even if it's in between you're doing zoom calls or you know and it's just the way of decompressing or that you might choose or opt to go and do a pottery class instead of going shop whatever it is that you might otherwise do, watching something on tv you might go like oh maybe there's a local pottery class and, and you can do that i would say that just give it a go try something new because you never know where it might take you. It might not be that you end up going on and becoming a ceramic artist, but you might discover that you want to buy yourself a block of clay next time you pass a hobby craft or a other crafting store. And you might also introduce it to your family members. So that's sharing something that you've discovered about yourself. And um, so I would say try something new and and don't feel like it's not for you just give it a go don't feel too pressurized I I watch my kids you know they'll pick up coloring pens and draw for 20 seconds and then put them down and do something else and then move on or whatever it is I really liked from your book um the date night suggestion yes some air dry clay which I never heard about before my mother's (laughs) a potter but yeah I never heard of air dry clay and I'm going to get that and do a date night with that with a glass yeah. of That's wonderful. It's, that's it. There we go. That's self-care for you and your partner or for yourself. And your new book, Slow Down and Be Here Now, it comes out tomorrow. We're on the 28th, yes. 29th. 29th of September, Slow Down and Be Here Now. 
and we'll all be looking out for that. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Laura. It's been really, really insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lily. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.